Welcome to Teach Like a Pirate's Sacred Reading, SeaTech Podcast. I am Nicole Huff. I'm Sylvia Ellison, and this is Session 8. Yes. And we are still looking at the presentation hooks mm-hmm. that he offers. Last time we talked about kinesthetic movement and the arts. Mm-hmm. Today we're looking at um, what's in it for me, which is I think the student-focused ones, and All the World's a Stage, which is looking at basically how do you set up the physical environment. Yes. And we are still looking at marginalia. So again, we have exchanged books and looked at the things that Sylvia wrote in the margins, the things that I wrote in the margins, and how those comments help us gain new understanding. You know, when we read text in community, that's one of our Uh tenets of it being sacred, is that we look at different opinions and different biases and check those by seeing different viewpoints. And this really helps us to do that. So I, going through the chapter, the first one is uh, what's in it for me. I love that idea that I love how this book is structured, first of all, that he calls them hooks. And we talked about what that means in the last session. But so the hooks in this section are the student hobby hook, mm-hmm. the real world application hook, the life changing lesson hook, the student directed hook and the opportunistic hook. And I think all of these really point to our students as the learners in the room, mm-hmm. as the active learners in the room, and how do we connect with them. So it kind of builds off that idea of their passion and yes. our rapport with them to, to, create. to create those moments for them. And I love what you've marked here. In the real-world application hook, the third one down about increasing motivation and engagement you marked that and said that this is about critical thinking and it is so hard yet so necessary that if we get kids moving and engaging, they're not just receiving the content. They're not just sitting and watching the stage production he has put on, but really they are working with it. They are moving around and doing something, whether it's in like those four corners or if it's the thing that they're folding or if it's like the human knock kind of thing mm. where you have everybody stand up and take someone else's hand and you and you have kids moving around and working through a puzzle where their movement is an important piece of the learning. And then, of course, you tie that into a curriculum standard about right. your content. And he even says, can we get away from saying because it's on the test? And I think that's the one I hear uh, connecting back to something we said previously about enthusiasm is that Mm -hmm. if students, sometimes we destroy the value of our lesson when we make a Mm -hmm. comment off the cuff, such as because it's on the test, because we've kind of been devalued our learning. So how do we get beyond that? And I think what brought to me was the idea, and I hear it a lot in algebra, when the kids go, when am I ever going to have to use this in real world? You know, when is this going to apply to me? When did it, And I love the answer that I've created in working with math teachers is they have these cool things called the standards of mathematical practice. And standard number one is to make sense of a problem and persevere in solving it. Hmm. So every time a kid has a problem, why don't you use this for life? Well, do you think in real life you're going to have problems to solve? Yes. yes. So how are you going to learn how to persevere in solving them if you don't persevere in solving this one? So sometimes it's just transcending from the actual moment, mm-hmm. the content right there, to the process 
or the character that we're building within them to get to that. That's so powerful. I love your explanation of that. And the fact that it's about that perseverance, you know, that's why it's important to show your work and not just Google the answer, because I want to see what you tried and how you got to the solution, because so many of our problems don't just have snap an answer, whether it's math, English, science, or the drama between you and your significant other, girlfriend, boyfriend, best friend, colleague at work, whatever, life's problems don't have simple answers that you arrive at by doing one thing. They take multiple steps. And if you learn from an early age to show your work and that it's going to take you half a page to work through this proof, you have to work at it and get there then you're willing to put in that effort and not just throw away a relationship because of a difficult comment or conversation, but put in the work to make that relationship stronger. And I know it's it, we're tangentially like straying off a rabbit trail, but I love the idea that I often ask students to not erase when they write, hmm. to just draw a line through it, one single line, and to move on. What that does is it tells me that you had some thinking that was happening in that moment. <laughs> and I can see what your thinking is. So it's kind of like showing your work in math. But in writing, it's kind of hard to show your thinking. Except right. that when you make those changes to draw those lines in. So I think that I love the idea of making our thinking visible as teachers. So that our students will be more than willing to risk making their thinking visible as well. That and, connects to something else that you're talking about there. This being willing to show your thinking and see that it shows something powerful and positive and it's it's about motivating us as well Mm. this if i can see where you were going and i can see i can help you get there we can all build that community and that's what else you have underlined is on page 105 you underlined drive the surprising truths about what motivate us which is the book by daniel pink that poise, one of three key elements for motivating people is to provide a high level of autonomy. So we are motivated when we have choice and independence. And if somebody can see your thinking, then it's kind of like the rationale for the autonomy. Hmm. Because if I give you the time in my classroom to just work on this, And at the end of the period, what I see is a blank piece of paper. I don't know that you've worked on it. But if instead what I see is a piece of paper where you've got some words written and some crossed out and other things and crossed out, then I know that you have been working through a process. And you may not like the solution you've arrived at yet, but you were using that time to process and work and I'm more willing to give you the autonomy and space and time to do that and I think our kids need structure in that too I think that so often they lived in classrooms where control or or, excuse me where autonomy has not been given to them that they don't know how to to be autonomous with their time right they don't know Mm -hmm. how to sit and put thinking on paper because they're waiting for somebody to tell them what to write down Hmm. right it's like taking notes when really we're just asking them to copy (laughs) there's a difference between taking notes and making an art project, which is make your paper look like my paper. Right. Right. He mentions that at one point in one of the hooks, you know, 
and it may have been in the last few chapters, but I was thinking about with the autonomy, if I'm asking kids to make notes as opposed to taking notes during a little bit of lecture that I have to do where I give you some of the background knowledge on the author and the time period before we read a novel or some background time, you know, on the time period in history or a concept in science. or If your notes instead are a mind map, I give you a piece of paper that is largely blank, but does have kind of a generic outline of someone's head and a couple little thought circles and a word on it in the, in the big thought circle, like a form of government you might be studying, like communism, or in science, like uh, photosynthesis, or, it, you know, it, it's a concept that you wanted kids to learn, and they're notes are what they remember and how they know about it and they make different sort of word picture over it word clouds and mind maps and I've given them the autonomy of how they're going to make their notes but I can see their thinking oh yeah that's a great idea too I like the idea of structured pieces I think hacking questions by Connie Hamilton a book we're going to probably address in the future she gives the idea of giving the concepts beforehand like kids write everything they know about it and then go ask three people what they know about it before I teach you and mm-hmm. now correct your thinking or, you know, just a, I like that idea before and after and having that independent thinking. You know, it's funny, right above that, the part about mine that you listed, we both marked the idea of the unconference or the ed camp experience mm-hmm. or that movement. And it was, and you just underlined ed camp and unconference, but next to the sentence that says allowing students to experience similar freedom which is to direct their own learning, might be liberating and fulfilling for the more self-directed learners. And so what if you put in our class on a class day every other week? So earlier in this chapter, you and I both marked the section right above that Daniel Pink note that says the unconference and ed camp movements are examples of what can happen when teachers are allowed to direct their own professional development experiencing. And then next to that next sentence, it says allowing students to experience similar freedom might be liberating and fulfilling for the most self-directed or the more self-directed learners. And you put in the notes that what if we had our class day every other week? And I think the idea that what I'm connecting with your note is that what if we put a time in class Mm -hmm. where students could have more choice? How, either, I guess, in content or, or process. I was kind of thinking like the Avid tutorials. Mm. For those of you unaware, Avid has tutorial days. Avid stands for Advancement via Individual Determination. And it's a class. It's kind of like having a mom at school. And it's the person in the class that becomes a family there that checks on you and sees if you're taking notes in classes and if you're doing your homework. And, and if, if you're you know taking, how to do those things. And if you're taking high-level classes or not. And they, they help push you. And they do these things called tutorial days where kids each get a tutorial request form. And they go to their other classes and figure out a spot that they're struggling oh, I, I wasn't good at number eight in math, I got it wrong, or I don't understand this concept in science. And and they mark those points of confusion. Yes, and then they come back and sort themselves into groups and kind of try to work through them together. And I was wondering about kind of in that vein and the unconference vein, if we had covered mm. within our unit a whole bunch of things, and, you know, we're, we're in the unit on 
photosynthesis and that it, well it's 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 our climate change unit and so it talks about how plants take out carbon and how we are all carbon-based life forms and there's trapped carbon in the earth and there's and we've done a whole bunch of lessons all about the life cycle and how the earth has a life cycle and how the plants have a life cycle and we do and so then I come in for the unclassroom and I spend maybe 30 seconds or a minute on a hook up front with a little bit of review. Maybe it's a song, kind of like flocabulary or something where it's got a bunch of terms that we've been talking about. And after that, that kind of hooks them into getting thinking about what we've done. Maybe we've got a picture up there of some of the life cycles. And I say, let's each take our individual whiteboards and think about what we might like to talk about and learn about and spend some more time with today based on all these topics. You know, you have 30 seconds to brainstorm for yourself. And then if you like them, come write them on the board and then we'll vote on the boards and we'll have our unclass break into groups and discussions based on what you want to talk about from all of this content we've done. Using something that's a little more easier for the English teachers to grasp. Because <laughs> you, wow, you're I amazing. Always, I always try to have non-English examples right. because I don't want to only be the English teacher. But imagine this book in an ed camp format, mm-hmm. right? Where we talk to teachers about what hooks are. Then these topics, you know... I want to talk about real-world application hooks. I want to talk about life-changing lesson hooks. I want to talk about student-directed hooks. And we put those options, because that's what they want to talk about, into small groups, and they talk about those. Mm-hmm. And when we put all of those up there, then teachers could move from group to group depending on I have something I want to share versus I have something I want to learn. But the idea is there for students as well. Mm-hmm. That it could be about a topic that we've covered extensively. It could all be also be the introduction to a new topic, where we're opening the new section on World War One, and I want, and I've given them kind of a a handout of pictures or mind map, whatever, and the kid looks down and says, "Oh, I want to learn more about this trench warfare. I want to know, we'll learn more about. I want to learn more about why it got started." And then they can say they can put those topics up and have those conversations. So I love the idea of every other week putting this idea out, and we're not. We're just finished a unit. We've already taken the test. If that's what you do, or, or we're we're in the middle of a unit. It doesn't it doesn't matter. It, the middle of the unit. I need more information about this topic because I was absent, or I need I want to talk more about this because I was really excited about it and I didn't feel like we could dive deep enough. All of those concepts about motivating kids yeah. and hooking them into learning, and then all of a sudden. I have this now. That's not a, a day without a lesson plan. No. That lesson plan. You have nine lesson plans, don't you? <laughs> in essence, you, you have the lesson plan is less about content and more about structure. How am I going to transition to mm-hmm. this? How am I going to ensure that? How am I going to what hold dis- kids accountable without dis- stripping the joy from the learning? Do I have discussion stems? Do I have talking chips? Do I do need any I, of those? Right. Do I have a timer that I need? Is there a musical way to transition them from one spot to another? Is there a way that I need to set up my desks? Do I need something on my walls to help right. them with this? Do they need to take stuff with them to reference? Do I, all of those sort of environment the domain two things on the rubric really and and as well our pedagogy it's about the structure of and how to make this successful because there's a lot of background work that you're doing and you're hopefully 
then immersing yourself from an earlier chapter. You're walking around and listening to these discussions and taking moments to kind of insert yourself a little bit in them and participate just for a few moments everywhere so that you both understand what your kids know and what they're learning and what they're discussing and also so that they see that you care about what they're saying. Right. I love that idea that just the fireworks are just going off in my brain about all the ideas that I could do in regards to even being a writing coach. Oh, could you imagine if we set that up in the media center? We've got an introduction table. We've got a a commentary table. We've got a place for you to talk about your counterclaims. We've got a place for you to talk about devices like an antithesis. What is that and how do I use it? Exactly. I love that. Um, to finish, wrap up this section, you underline the last sentence on page 106. It says, teaching students how to see events from different perspectives and analyze bias and coverage is also facet- fantastic for teaching media literacy and critical thinking. Now, I know you're a media specialist. <laughs> I am. And you, you wrote, my why and passion. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about that? So. In the first chapter, when he told us to identify our passions, that is one of mine. To have students be able to look at the content they are being given, no matter if it's from a teacher or the news or Facebook or a friend, and figure out the biases that went into the way that was produced and put out to them and figure out what they believe. Because the truth is never just from one perspective. This goes back to the life-changing lessons as well. And my library motto, uh, in our library I have painted a Latin motto that says, cave ab hominem unis libri. And I'm sorry if I mispronounced the Latin. Mm -hmm. That's more of a phonetic pronunciation. It means, beware the man of one book. And it's made famous by Thomas Aquinas. And kids are like, you're putting Latin up on the wall? Yeah. What does it say? And I tell them. What does it mean? And I tell them. And they say, so what does that mean? And then we get to have this whole conversation about how one perspective Mm. is never the whole story. And so if you've read just one book or just one piece on a topic, you don't really understand it. And well, if and you think we, you do, the rest of us should be afraid of you. And it's good if you just read one book, because that's more than start. some people have. It's a start. But, right, to speak as, a, speak as an expert on something, you would need to know more. I love that, um, because it does, that's a, that's a real-world need that our kids don't have these days, is to be able to do the real-world analysis of different perspectives. And it ties in perfectly to the book that we want to read and talk about in the fall, Fact versus fiction yes. is all about the bias and fake news and, yes. and how do we figure out what is and isn't and by labeling something as fake news, what have you done to it? Exactly. So as we move into the next section, it's the All the World's a Stage. Once again, his hook titles are so amazing. He starts with the interior design hook. Mm-hmm. I say, I'm sure you can all get a picture of that one. <laughs> the board message hook, the costume hook. And the props hook, the involved audience hook, and the mystery bag hook. That one seems like it's going to be fun to talk about. (laughs) I love this idea that all the world's a stage. First of all, as an English teacher, it's definitely a play on William Shakespeare. Right. And it reminds me of, and it's funny because you put it up in here as a beginning as well. I thought of this whole idea of organizing my physical environment mm-hmm. like so we've talked about the the music the movement the involving the kids but that means nothing if the place that they walk into isn't inviting right right and so you underlined i'm the director producer stage manager and lead actor and 
for the 180 different performances that will take place in a Roma room. I love the idea that if, as, if you think of the lead actor in a movie, they don't do all that stuff. They take their lines, they, they embrace mm-hmm. them, or, and they go. But they didn't direct it, and they don't produce it. But he's saying, as a teacher, I have that entire responsibility of doing everything. All of those hats. All of those. And you wrote, the more persnickety we are in our planning, setup, and directions, the more likely it will go as planned. <laughs> and I love that. First of all, I love that word persnickety. Um, <laughs> but I also like the idea that you connected it to planning. That we have to plan everything, including the physical environment that our kids are in. He also underlined, this is tough business. I'm more than Mm -hmm. willing to take advantage of and influence everything around me to increase my students' chance of success. Man, imagine if every teacher on a campus Mm -hmm. thought that way. If his kids know that he feels that way. You know, I will take every opportunity. I will spend four hours decorating my room because it might get two more kids to understand this, know it, and feel successful. If they knew that he was willing to put that kind of effort in, imagine what they'd be willing to do, the whole reap and sow. Right, and I'm sure that this is not 180 different stages, right? Like, you know... He says his room is a blank stage, and he covers into, you know... Right, but I'm sure he doesn't have 180 different sets, because imagine the storage space required. However... And the money investment. Exactly. But if it takes me three days to... Well, I'm going to go to his World War One. I'm not going to cover in one day, right? right. So, the, for one week, my desks might be in rows that kids can jump over to get through the trenches, you know, or might have the mud water set up in the front. Although I'm sure my principal would not like that to talk <laughs> about the gangrene or the it's not it's mm-hmm. whatever fungus it was that they got in their boots and their shoes that caused such pain. Trench foot and trench toe. Trench foot. That's right. Yeah, that would cause all that pain. I'm sure that that's, you know, one thing that he could do and just add a piece to it the next day, a piece the next day. It's not like everything has to be perfect at the beginning, but mm-hmm. the more persnickety we are in our yeah. planning, the more likely it will go as planned. Right? Just as you put last time that, or two times ago, that it's the decisions that we are making mm-hmm. or the decisions <laughs> we are abdicating to others. If you have thought about and put effort into every single one of them and you are the director of it all, mm-hmm. it will go as planned. Right. Um, you marked something in the involved audience hook that I wanted to discuss on 114. You've got several little markings here that kids need to feel like they are part of the show, that mm. it is choreographed chaos and it's like a flash mob but on a smaller scale and you've got some hearts and some exclamation points here so clearly this is something that you really like the idea of and that you think could be powerful for kids so tell me more about it I like that term choreographed chaos it's I think that's a great description for how we want to see active learning in a classroom Hmm. right so it's not quiet. It's, it's not, not quiet. kids sitting in rows and writing something individual. It's the, the and discussion it and the movement and the, it, it's all of the things that lead to that. Right. Too. I'm not saying every day needs to be a romper room. There are days that our kids do need to sit and write mm-hmm. because they're capturing their personal thoughts on paper. It's the reflective moments, the metacognition moments. But I think that 
we don't want to walk into a room where kids are truly bouncing off the wall with no purpose. So the idea of choreographed chaos is that idea of using the four corners to do an opinion meter or Mm -hmm. changing the desks from groups to a big circle, moving your classroom outside so that they could have that I like that. I'm still hooked on that poetry stuff. Learning walks. The learning walks, right. It's choreographed. And I like that it's not controlled chaos. Mm-mm. It's choreographed. If you know anything about choreography, there is so much planning and rehearsal that goes into it mm-hmm. to make a stage performance beautiful. Do I like this move versus this move? Do I want to turn in or turn out? Do I want them up or down? All of those questions ask and analyze Uh you have to do in order to have what looks like chaos to actually be a choreographed dance well and you just said choreographed not controlled and that made me think it is not the teacher saying you will do this it is the teacher saying you need to embody that so how are we going to get to that it's the director who lets the person embody the character rather than the director who says read these lines this way um, it, it's, I think Dwayne Johnson is probably the master of this. He, Dwayne Johnson gets a script, and he does a script, but there's some ad-lib moments in there <laughs> where he throws things in there, and the director goes, oh, yeah, keep that, right? Or he goes, oh, no. And Dwayne Johnson probably goes, yeah, that didn't come out right, right? <laughs> choreographed chaos because to an outsider coming in, it might look like, oh, my gosh, who's in control of this room right now? Mm-hmm. But in truth, if they sit there and they actually look, the and that's what that's what administrators do. They actually come in, they go, what's going on? And they don't make a rash judgment. They sit there and they look. So I think choreographed chaos is like a good administrator walking into a room. The good administrator goes, what's going on here? But before making the rash decision verbally out loud, the reason they walked in is the what's going on in here. But they sit and they wait and they watch. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden they see... Oh, those kids are talking about content. Those kids are discussing content. Those kids are solving content. Oh, this may look like chaos, but there's Mm -hmm. some heavy learning going on here, right? That's choreographed chaos for me. When I watched lessons, I watched a teacher do that. And so very briefly, there was a teacher walking around the room as students were talking and there were some green check marks that appeared on paper and that was all I saw so I asked in the post conference about the green check marks and the teacher had this like 15 minute explanation of who she visited which questions they discussed how they got the check mark what the kid was supposed to do from there and how they would share it and and all I had known about assessment was that a couple kids got a green check mark, and at the end, I had a clear picture of every single kid in that room and what they knew and how, because she did have this choreographed right. chaos, and we knew to to look and analyze and ask. And it's funny. I was watching a a government teacher who, the first half of the year, told me he hated go- teaching government. And, <laughs> That's and, not a good sign. No, and I, he had five sections of it. And I'm like, well, I have to see government mm. next. So when I came back in the spring to watch his government class, my post-conference started, why do you hate this? He goes, oh, I don't hate it anymore. And he had, his kids had created a Magna Carta, which Mm. was their classroom rules, which is beautiful. And then he had sections and he had a a tour guide. Um, A kid who got to the class first and picked up the clipboard and said, 
to the kids that were walking in, where, where is your team going today? Where is your team going today? And he had, he had scoured the campus and gotten five computers. <laughs> he had, and they did iCivics. So they were learning government through a computer program, games, mm-hmm. and they had a game board, like uh, highest points, you okay. know, a competition. He had a quiet section for um, working on your political dictionary. Okay. He had a crafts, a creative station, we called it, mm-hmm. um, where the kids were actually putting together a project that either helped them learn or illustrated their learning. And then he had two lecture days. Lecture was awful word for it because really more class discussion. And so they knew that in the five days they had to do five sessions. They had to have, and the lectures were Monday and Wednesday was one, and Tuesday and Thursday was one. So they had to go through, and two teams... That hosts two mm-hmm. teams. I don't feel like Monday. I don't feel like doing a lecture day team. Okay, let's let's jump. Let's get there early so we can get the blank section, right? That's cool. So they had these options, and Friday was that I can't do the lectures, but I can make up everything else. And if I have to do two and two for one, I can, right? So he had they had autonomy, mm-hmm. and it was choreographed chaos because when you walked in, the kids were doing anything and everything. Plus, at the time, a violation of the school policy was kids were listening to music on their earbuds in the creation station. Hmm. and But purposefully, because it allowed them to think through the creative process. Right. There's getting, a lot of research about music and how it... But without helps. hearing the lectures, because the lectures were getting them, uh, like, it was distracting. So they didn't hear that in advance or, or distract from it. Right. Sure. It was choreographed chaos, and it was beautiful learning because every kid felt like I could choose what I wanted to do today, knowing if I don't want to hear the lecture on day one, I got to hear it. And, and by Wednesday, if I haven't heard either one, I know on Wednesday and Thursday I'm stuck. That choreographed chaos that you're discussing has the kids very much engaged and active, and that kind of brings us to the other point you wanted yes. to, to point nice out from my notes. There. In your notes on page 109, he talks about this whole... Moon landing. Movement, moon landing, yeah. And with the Pink Floyd music and the laser light show and all the kids are laying on the floor. And you said in the side notes, yes, but mostly kids are receivers of information. How are you getting them involved? How are you getting them involved? And where is their thinking? And we had this conversation earlier. We've kind of alluded to it. The idea that, yeah. to me, that, that idea of the laser light show is so awesome, fascinating, cool. Did it help them learn about the moon landing is the, fi- is the question. So here's what I was struggling with that I'm hoping you from a different perspective can help me complicate this piece of text and understand it in a new way. A lot of these hooks sound like they end up in kind of a whole day lesson. And I am absolutely a proponent for getting kids engaged and hooked in and having a cool experience and teaching the social skills and all of that. But I don't want people to walk away from this and I don't want to walk away from this either thinking about how I can create performances because I don't want to be up there on the stage giving all the information and experiences to the kids. I don't just want them to be audience members, even mm. in the best show. Right. I want to see how how they are involved. In this lesson, it sounded like they were laying on the floor with their backpacks and just kind of, they were the audience. Right. Well, and 
I, this is one of those situations where I wish we could see a video of the whole lesson. Because uh-huh. I think what, what Dave Burgess is telling us here is this is how I hooked them in so that they would hear everything else I was going to say. Right? Okay. So I think that we're only seeing the surface level of mm-hmm. the learning here. Um, it's almost like... I don't want to know what else he said. I want to know what the kids did. Right. But I think that's what's missing. I think what we're seeing is all the setup, and this mm-hmm. is what happened, but he's not telling us or giving us the entire lesson. Like, while they were sitting there, he might have posed a question, had them turn and look at each other and say, if I were on the moon, what would it look like? Mm-hmm. Um, why do you think he chose the laser light show? Why do you think he chose the light show? You know, um, I think the, those conversation pieces, and we don't know all the techniques. I think this one was highlighting his change of physical environment. So he's only talking about the physical environment piece that hooked kids in learning. I think we referred to this earlier. A hook is the first part of the mm. lesson. And so even though it took a whole class period, for him that whole class period might have been a responsiveness and a flexibility to him seeing, wow, kids don't need to get back up in desk to have this conversation. We can just have this conversation here on, on the floor, mm-hmm. right? And he could okay. be... He could be having this this learning happening while the light show is still going on. That it could have started as a five minutes we're going to lay on the floor and okay. and talk about this is what it would be like if we were on the moon, right? And then he's, when he got down there, based on what I'm reading here, it became life-changing because he's, in his mind, as an excellent teacher who was immersed in the mm-hmm. learning, started looking around going, wait, kids are having conversations while lying down here. Who says they have to sit at a desk? I think we're going to stay down here the whole time and have our discussion laying down. How cool would that be? So you're reminding me that he has a focus and that his focus right now is on the hook. And that, again, you have to be very careful in your setup and presentation. So he very carefully has shown us his setup and presentation at the beginning. But this is only his hook. Right. And the rest of the learning can happen because of it. And I think and you're not telling me it doesn't happen. You're telling me this is the start of. And that makes it make more sense to me. Right. I, I think that in some ways, this book, we know that this book, Teach Like a Pirate, has spawned so many other books. Learn Like a Pirate, Explore Like a Pirate, Play Like a Pirate, mm-hmm. Lead Like a Pirate, Balance Like the because the acronym is so powerful that people have said, oh, if I take that same letter combination, I can create a new... I think a good sequel to this book would be Plan Like a Pirate, right? Because this is all about your plan. This is all about the, the presentation piece. Mm-hmm. But what if we planned like a pirate? What would be required? You know, P, purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, and I off the fly I can't do the other ones, but you could have E could be engagement because if you do all these other things, it results in students actively learning engagement. Mm-hmm. So A active active learning. I think that teach like a pirate in this page is about the presentation and hooking kids by by manipulating your physical space. So once they see the moon and the moon landing, they might be more ready to have the conversation about 
JFK's paradigm shift of we will go to the moon and we will do it before the end of the decade and it is important and why is it and they can discuss all of what that did for us as a nation and the science and, stuff, and maybe they can learn a lot more about it because they'll remember it from laying on the ground in the dark listening to Pink Floyd and watching the laser light show and that Pink there Floyd's will be song... student thinking and learning right and what if the, along with and it. what if the conversation because it's Pink Floyd's dark side of the moon how would we have ever known about the dark side of the moon had somebody not landed on it? Yeah, right, because so, you never get to see it. Because Pink Floyd has not been on the moon. So Pink Floyd's song is now based on an experience that he learned about, they mm-hmm. learned about, either from being on TV, I don't know, I can't remember how old they are, or from their parents seeing it, or from their teacher teaching them about it. They created the mm-hmm. song that's now... Inviting other students to think outside their box. So perhaps the follow-up student activity thinking eventually here could be to create their own song from something something else like that. The Bright Side of the Moon song or even things like the, the song about getting to the moon or the song about now getting to Mars or trying to grow things on Mars for today and what that would do. And they could write a song in response as well. And, you know, one last little tidbit. My husband was reading an article. We're talking about going to the moon here. Do you know the computers that took us to the moon that were Mm -hmm. on the spaceship, their memory, they literally had bites of memory, not kilobytes, not not gigabytes. They had bytes of memory and the computing power of like my cell phone is at least a hundred times greater per second than the computing power of the computer on the spaceship. And that one took us to the moon. And I very often use this one to look up funny memes of cats. (laughs) what else could I be doing and solving with this technology in my pocket? Kennedy said, let's go to the moon. What can I do with this? I love that. Yeah. Imagine the possibilities if we just took advantage of the learning that could take place in our classrooms and with the technology in our hands. You know, the last thing I wanted to talk about in this book is something that is in reference to something we did together this past year um, when our library was <laughs> shut down due to radon poisoning, which has been cleaned now. But he talks about covering a, he did the red scare lesson and he covered everything in red plastic tablecloths, which are easy to find at Dollar Tree. Mm-hmm. But she wrote in here, the library could be a good place to set up environments and move lessons for impact, like a book tasting restaurant. So when our library is closed, I was in my hack learning chat and somebody discussed something about it and it spawned the idea of a book tasting. And I had you pull carts of books mm-hmm. and we created a menu that kids kind of wrote their own menu. Appetizer uh, books. books, entree yes. books, and dessert books. And all of his planning made me think about setting this up where when you come into the library, I've got kind of a high top table. I could be there as the hostess and mm-hmm. ask them how many in their party. And we could have little tablecloths set up at the front. And I could take them to their seats. Right. And then let me discuss with you today a little bit about our menu. We have a special menu for today. So let me walk you through our appetizers. These are the books that and kind of have a whole spiel right. about appetizers, entrees, and desserts. And 
let kids look and circle and pick and then eventually check out a book that they may wish to either taste or eat fully. And I love that idea. In fact, you just, so many other ideas we need to talk, flush that out. <laughs> but what I loved about this whole setup idea was the collaboration piece. Yes. I had the idea of what we could do and I even created the, the menu page. Yes. But it was never as as powerful until you said, oh, appetizer books, entree books. And then when you started describing an appetizer versus an entree to the students, I was like, oh, yes. Like, in my mind, I didn't have that much thought into the content <laughs> because I did, I'm not a media specialist. So I right. I'm not, that's my specialty. But I had this, I had the, the all format. the structure, the format yeah. prepared. Together, we made that a powerful mm-hmm. life learning experience for kids. Um, I think you had more books checked out by a single class. I loved it. Than, and, and the idea that you were so creative and how to do that without your library, uh, your taste. But I think that that was a fantastic bit. I love how we're taking that and moving it forward. Mm-hmm. I can, in my mind, picture red checkered tablecloths for like an outdoor Italian cafe with a little vase and a flower on it. Mm-hmm. We do salt and pepper shakers, but very fake. Um, no salt and sugar, pepper, and then. But I, when you just, I love the idea of having kids come in autonomy, uh-huh. as a teacher saying, okay, you guys are going to have to sit in groups of three to four. Choose who you would like to dine with tonight, yeah. and then come up and tell the tell, you know, three or four only. No two, no, right. really twos and ones maybe. We have enough chairs, you know, but they would have that choice. Mm-hmm. And then I would love it if we could have other like assistants, like TAs, be your be your <laughs> servers, you know, and. What would you like to, you know, what kind of books? To help bring books around on the cart. Show the dessert cart. Yes. Um, Those kinds of ideas would be so fascinating. So PSA, work with your media specialist. Yes. We do lots of things, and we are a great space. So no matter your content, your librarian has books on every subject Mm -hmm. and wants to help everybody. So the next time you want to set up something and maybe can't quite figure out how to get that in your room, see if you can move it to the library and do right. a day in there and set up and collaborate. Yeah, there's so many things in this chapter. I mean, there's just not enough time in the day to talk about all these. I love his, the idea of QR codes was cool. Oh, yeah. I, we I did, went to make some. <laughs> we did, well, and you know, we did professional learning this year mm-hmm. with a gallery walk with mm-hmm. a, a docent, um, but for some teachers, we put QR codes at every station so that they didn't have to use the docent. They could have self-paced. And what if we did that with our students, that they could self-pace their learning? Sure. So much good thinking in this book. So as a, a call to action and a question for you guys, I would love it if you could tell us, we would love it if you could tell us more about how your setup and your environment and planning some sort of cool setup and environment led to deep student thinking. Yes. So if you had a sort of dark side of the moon lesson, how did you set that up? And then what did that lead kids to do? Tell us in your voice memos or the slow chat on Twitter with the hashtag of CTech podcasts. What experience mm-hmm. did you set up? What hook did you create? And how did that lead to engaged active learning from kids? And on a side fun note, if you have a word for plan like a pirate, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, maybe Burgess will, you know, will let me pro- write that book. That would be kind of fun. You could write since... it with one of our listeners. <laughs> oh, and with you, Nicole. Couldn't do it without you. 
Thank you, everybody, and we hope to hear from you this week. Thank you. Have a good day.